G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I breathe. I will break this offering. You are my wonder. You bring the wonder. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me. I'm Bill, and this is another message from Pastor Jeff Vines from his series called Renovations of the Heart. In this episode, we'll hear the rest of Pastor Jeff's sermon from John chapter 3. He's sharing with us about Nicodemus, who came to visit Jesus at night in search of answers, and later, he helped Joseph of Arimathea move Jesus's body to the tomb. Let's see what we can take from this passage to apply to our lives today. Here's Pastor Jeff. He says in verse 23 of 1 Peter 1, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. In other words, folks, this is an organic transformation. Do you understand that? I'm I'm going to hammer this until I think you get it. I'm going to keep saying it in every sermon in this series. You don't need reformation. You don't need to just be reshaped. You've got to be dug up and replanted. If you've got an apple orchard and you look out over the orchard and you say, man, I've loved apples for a long time, but you know what? This year I want peaches. So you say, I'm going to water and fertilize this field and orchard to death. And you're going to water and you're going to fertilize. What are you going to get at the end of the growing season? Bigger apples. Not going to get peaches. You say, well, I'm going to prune them then. I'm going to cut them back. I'm going to get a gardening book and go crazy. I'm going to work harder and harder and longer and longer. Don't go on it. I'm going to get me some peaches. (laughs) No, you're not. You're going to get bigger apples. You can't have new fruit unless you have a new root. You have to be completely replanted. Dug up, reorganized. You have to be organically radicalized. That's what the new birth does. Stay with me. And then fourth, it's got to be foundational. Do you know what a, uh, some of you have read theology or you've done your homework. Do you know what a uh, non sequitur is? A non sequitur is when you're reading a narrative and suddenly As you're reading the narrative, somebody asks Jesus a question, and the answer that he gives is like, did he just change the subject? What does that have to do with anything? Now, the first time I saw that happen in my own study was in John 11, after Jesus told the disciples, we're going to go back to Bethany because Lazarus is ill. 
And they said, Jesus, let's don't go back there, man. They tried to, they tried to stone us there. What do you want to do? Why do you want to go back there? And here's Jesus' response. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see the world's, by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. And if I'd have been the disciple, I'd say, huh? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? With the woman at the well, Jesus enters this long conversation dialogue with her. And it's about Jesus having water that if you take it, you drink it, it will well up within you, life overflowing. And the woman, she thinks, man, I'd love to get this kind of water that would last for eternity so I don't have to come out to this well anymore. So Jesus says, I got this water. And she says, let me have it. And Jesus says, okay, go call your husband. (laughs) I don't have a husband. And then the whole conversation changes, non sequitur. Well, there's one right here in John 3. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. You've come from God. No one could perform these signs if you're not from God. (laughs) Instead of Jesus saying, I am from God, he just says, let me tell you something, Nicodemus. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Did Jesus change the subject? No. Now listen. And again, I tell you, I just pray that God give me the words here because this is one of those messages You either see it because you see it, or you don't see it because you don't see it. And I'm hoping that maybe if you don't, you will. But it's going to be hard because it has to be a breakthrough. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, you're a teacher. And Jesus spends the rest of the passage interrupting him. And basically what he's doing, he's helping Nicodemus to have a paradigm shift. From Jesus as teacher to Jesus as savior. He keeps pressing Nicodemus. Look, if you look at the passage carefully, Nicodemus' first statement is 30 words. His second statement is 20 words, and his last statement is four. And then he, you never hear from him again. That's it. Jesus just keeps talking over him and interrupting him. You go through the chapter, you don't hear Nicodemus again. He just starts listening. I had a friend in Savannah, Georgia, when I was teaching pastor, Mike Frazier, and there was a guy on the, uh, uh, the executive leadership team that just talked a lot, and it would frustrate Mike. So Mike just developed this thing. It wasn't the most couth thing to do, but he would say, hey, Dave, you're doing this. You need to do this. You're doing this, Dave. You need to do this. Jesus kind of says, Nicodemus, you're doing this. You need to do this. You need to sit down, shut up, and listen. I know Jesus will never say shut up, but Nicodemus just starts listening. And through the rest of the passage, Jesus basically brings statement after statement that says this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, if you think I'm a teacher and that's the limitation of my identity, you can never be born again. Wow. Isn't that the way the whole world looks at Jesus? Great moral teacher, great leader, but not savior. And Jesus says, if you don't see me as savior, you can never be born again. Nicodemus says, we, we know that you are from God. And look at what Jesus says. This is the key to the passage in verse 14. Jesus says, yeah, you're right. I came from God all right. I used to live in heaven right on Main Street. You've got no idea, Nicodemus, where I came from. And then he says in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake, the son of man must be lifted up. And now we know the meaning of the passage. Jesus has taken an obscure story out of Numbers 21. Do you remember that story? The children of Israel are bitten by snakes. They're all dying convulsions, high fevers. They're looking like they're all going to be wiped out. Their systems are filled with poison. And we know this because they were willing to release their medical reports. (laughs) So God says to Moses, God says to Moses, make a serpent out of bronze and put it up on a stick. And everybody who looks at it will be saved. Strange story. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you think I'm come to teach you? 
I've come to save you. The Son of Man, he says, must be lifted up. Why does he say must be lifted up? Because before the Spirit of God can come on the inside and begin to renovate us from the inside out, we've got to be made clean on the inside. And the only way we can be made clean on the inside, the only way we can be righteous, is to either keep the law perfectly, which no man can do, or to pay the penalty for breaking it. Either way, God will see you as righteous, not pragmatically, but before the law, legally. So Jesus dies for our sins. Therefore, before God, we have been justified. We don't stand in condemnation because we have met the requirements of the law. And we have been clean from the inside out. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. I must be lifted up. What's interesting about Nicodemus is, it's like Jesus says, Nicodemus, read this Old Testament passage. Deal with it. Deal with it. You've got to have a breakthrough to understand what this means before you can be born again. You don't just need more teaching, Nicodemus. You need saving and regenerating. You need renovation from the inside out. Now, please stay with me. Is it okay? Martin Luther, father of the Reformation, struggled desperately to rid himself of the guilt and anguish he felt over his sin. He was like Nicodemus very religious. He taught the teachers. He knew the scriptures well, but he didn't know Christ. But he was beginning to because he had a struggle. Something was going on in him. So he he finds himself for most of the day just on his face before God. God, I don't get this whole thing, man. I am your enemy. I am a sinner. I'm not gaining ground over this. I, I don't know what to do. And then he writes this. And Most of you will never read anything that Martin Luther wrote, but I want you to read this. Here we go. Here's what he said. I labored diligently as to how to understand Paul's word in Romans 1.17 where he says that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. I took it to mean that that righteousness whereby God punishes the unrighteousness. And I had no confidence that my own heart could possibly assuage him or my merit. Then I grasped that the righteousness of God is that righteousness that through sheer grace and mercy God gives to us through faith in Christ. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. When I saw the difference that the law is one thing, but the gospel is another, I broke through. Why did Jesus so vehemently go after Nicodemus? Because Nicodemus said to Jesus, I know why you came. And Jesus says, no, you don't. I didn't come to give you more teaching. I came to save you. And until you understand that, you cannot be born again. When did Luther break through? When the paradigm shift happened between Jesus as Savior, or Jesus as teacher to Jesus as Savior. Why would this be considered the new birth? Here we go. Because it changes the way you see everything. That's why he said, Verily, truly, I say to you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. What does that mean? Nicodemus knew there was a kingdom. But it means that once you break out of the teacher paradigm and the Savior paradigm, and you truly understand what this means now, it's, I'm sorry, but it's a head thing. There's a truth that has to come into your life that will move and motivate your emotions. And what is that truth? That Jesus not only came to save you from your sins, but he came to save you from everything. Everything. The only way I can really communicate this is through a couple of illustrations. I told you that numerous times, and I will apply this story a little differently, but my father was a military man, just strict, black and white, Rule keeper, rule enforcer. 
When I was 16 years old, I did something that I told you that I'm never going to tell you, and I'm never going to tell you, but I did something that was so bad that I knew my father would kick me out. And so you can imagine the night before, I'm just, I, I can't sleep, I'm young, I think, man, I've, I've ruined my life, I've destroyed other lives, this is the end, this is the end for me. But at the same time, I couldn't keep it inside. I could not bear it on my own, so I had to tell my father. And the next morning, I sat on the bed beside my dad, and I said, Dad, i got to tell you something. I told him, waiting for the hammer to be dropped, waiting for him to say, Son, you're finished. Pack your stuff up. You can't live here anymore. And after I told my father, he moved over close on the bed, and he put his arm around me. And he said, Son, you did bad, but I love you. And you know what? You're forgiven. And I'm going to go through this journey with you because I want you to be the man that I know you can be. And I want you to be responsible for everything that you've done. And whatever ramifications come your way, I want you to take it like a man. Do you understand? Something happened to me in that moment with my relationship with my father. Because I found myself after that wanting to obey my dad. Not for fear, but because this guy loved me so much that he would give me that kind of grace, what kind of dad would do that? Surely he must be a good, good father. And surely he must be the kind of dad that loves me so much that any restriction he puts on me, it's because he loves me, not because he wants to bind me. And so suddenly I began to do, look, this kind of righteousness in your life will evolve far greater out of grace and mercy than law will ever produce. Because your heart will be motivated. You'll see, my goodness, look what, look what God has done for me. Look how much he loves me. Look at the grace. Man, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to live for him. But if you bypass that and you still see God as a religion kind of thing where he's going to drop the hammer on you all the time, you're never going to bridge the deep, deep gap between life and faith. One time I was on the golf course when I was in my early 20s and I noticed... My golf ball was in kind of a precarious position. And if I could just move it just a foot, just a foot is all I need, then I could do what I needed to do. I moved it. I cheated. Now, some of you say, hey, once a cheater, always a cheater. Well, that's true unless you're, until you're born again. And something that helps being born again is when somebody catches you. I moved the ball. I look back at that experience often in my life. Do you know why? Because it reminds me that the real issue is not the sin, but the sin beneath the sin. Why did I do that? Because the Heavenly Father's approval is not enough. I wanted the people around me to know how wonderful I was. In every sin that you commit, there's a sin underneath the sin. It's where the Father's not enough for you. Think about it. It's where you don't trust that the Father will supply all your needs. It's where you really don't believe that he's enough. This is the problem. If I can just be honest with you, in affluent cultures, we like to keep one foot in both worlds. We hope that heaven is real. We hope that God is real. We hope that one day we're going to get our inheritance. But just in case that doesn't happen, I'm going to have my goods and my needs filled while I'm here too. You've not been born again. Because when you're truly born again, you see him not only as savior of your sins, you see him as the ultimate fulfillment of every pursuit of your life. Have you ever told the lie? 
You ever told a lie? Have you ever, somebody walked up to you and said, hey, you know that thing you said you were going to get done on Monday? Is it ready? And you knew you'd forgotten all about it. But you told them, oh yeah, I'm on that. I'll have it first thing Monday morning. Why'd you do that? Because you didn't want to look poorly in their eyes. Instead of saying, you know what, brother, I forgot. I'll get every sin you commit. There's a sin underneath the sin. And it's where Jesus and the full ramifications of him being your savior, you have not broken through. Jeff, are you saying that being born again is simply the opening of your eyes to who Jesus really is and all that he's actually done? Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. Because then, temptation, temptation comes. If you've been born again, here's what happens. If you've not been born again, here's what happens. Oh, boy, I really want to do it, really want to do that, really want to do that, really want to do that. But after you're born again, let me tell you what happens in you. You start to see it as it really is. And you start to see the devil here. And you start to say, now for me, the competitor in me comes out. Okay? So I've got a loving father here that weeps for me when I don't trust him enough because he knows the damage sin causes in my life. So he weeps. So now I see a father who's weeping for me and I see an evil one who wants to wreck my life. And the competitor in me comes out and I say, no way, dude, you're not, you're not winning, dude. You're not winning. Talk to the hand. And I go here. Now, am I perfect in that? Of course not. But it's the pursuit and passion. And the older I get, the more battles I'm winning. Think about it just for a second. When you first started dating, guys, the girl that you married, did anybody have to tell you to pursue her? <laughs> anybody have to tell you to talk about her? Anybody have to tell you to find out everything you could about her? Anybody have to tell you to spend time with her? Anybody have to tell you to get flowers and chocolates, take her out there? Anybody have to tell you that? It's not like your dad said, now look, here's how you date. No, you just started doing things you didn't know you were capable of. Why? Because your heart had been melted by something or someone. And when you recognize all that Jesus has done, your heart will be melted and it will change the way you live your life. Can I read something to you? I'm running out of time, but I got to read this. Paul says this, and, in such, and the scripture is always going to say it better than I will. Here's what Paul says in first, Paul, Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 8, okay? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why does he mention that? Because when Jesus conquered death, he conquered everything. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Everything you want, you're going to get. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. He says, I got it right here. Who through faith are shielded by God's power. You don't have to worry about losing it. Until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice. So these are people who joy is central, sorrow is only peripheral. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What's he saying? He's saying, yeah, you suffer some now. Life is not always easy. But there's this internal joy that you have that nobody takes away from you because you know Jesus saved you not only from your sin but from everything. Your life here is just a little bit of time compared to eternity. Though he says you've not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Is that you? Do you have an inexpressible, glorious joy? For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You must be born again. Some of you need to start over. You just need to start over. Your heart has never been melted by what Jesus has truly done. Because when it is, even you non-emotional white folk <laughs> will become more emotional. See, that's unfair. That's not my temperament. And yet you fell in love with your wife. You can fall in love no matter what your temperament. And when you fall in love, everything's going to change. Some of you need to start over. Do you know do you know Nicodemus did? Let me finish the story. Nicodemus, you don't hear from him again until John 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. you got no idea. We're talking about a culture in which this was woman's work. Men didn't do this, especially wealthy, rich men. Here's two old men. They went and did something that only women would do. They handled a cadaver. Nicodemus was willing to touch the body. Why? I just wonder how many times Nicodemus was pacing back and forth. The son of man must be lifted up. The son of man must be lifted up. There's a snake up high. There's a snake. There's this Moses. The people got saved. The people were cured. They, Moses, Jesus must be lifted up. Until finally, he saw Jesus lifted up. And he realized, I'm saved. Oh, man. So he goes and takes the body of his Savior. And with the help of Joseph of Arimathea, they buried it. And Nicodemus shifted from a teacher paradigm to a savior paradigm. And I don't know how long it took him. The woman at the well changed instantaneously, didn't she? Boom, let's go tell all my friends. But some people, it takes a little longer. So where are you? Where are you, man? This is crucial stuff. I hope and pray that this would be a message that starts revival, that those of you who know you have no passion, no desire, you just go through the motions, but you really don't have a passion and desire for Jesus out there, that there's a big difference between you in here and out there and you, what you are in private and what you are in public, that you'd ask yourself the question, wait a minute, man. The simple question of the message is, has your heart been melted by everything that Jesus has done for you? Because if it has, man, you're going to talk about him. You're going to you're going to live differently. You're going to be so. You're going to walk around with an inexpressible, glorious joy, even though sorrow's still peripheral. We're not crazy people. We don't say, "Yeah, I'm just happy all the time." My aunt just died. Thrilled to death. No, we're not those kind of people. We're just the kind of people who says, "You know what? Life here is tough. I'm not going to lose though, because there's an inheritance waiting for me, and so I'm going to live here like I believe that there." And if you if you don't have that. I'm begging you to throw your life at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I want to see the kingdom work in me. Help me to see this truth so that my emotions would kick in 
then my life would be different. And that is the very beginning of the renovation of your heart. Father, I thank you and praise you in Christ's name for your goodness. And I ask you right now in Jesus' name that the Spirit, your Spirit, your Holy Spirit that indwells the life of every believer would fall on this place, open the eyes of the blind, that pride would dissipate and be replaced by humility and acknowledgement that we need a Jesus revelation to once again, or maybe for the first time, see all that we have in Christ. That revival may come. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.